Welcome everyone to another episode of Keel Conversations. I'm your host, my name is Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. If you're enjoying these chats, please do leave us a review. They make a huge difference in the podcast world. So we appreciate everyone taking the time to do this. And lastly, this podcast and this episode, all these amazing guests are all supported by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests end up in app to help guide you through your daily mental fitness and reflection. So take it for a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to search is KYO. So today I'm chatting with Danny, who is part of the team at Thrive Global, striving to end the stress and burnout epidemic by offering companies and individuals sustainable science-based solutions to enhance well-being, performance, purpose, and create a healthier relationship with technology. This is a fun chat because Danny can really relate to most people out there who are traveling quite heavily or running from meeting to meeting, and he has a really great way to reframe the boundaries that we can all put in place uh, with others that we're working with. So enjoy this conversation and have the absolute best day yet. So Danny, who are you? So I'm Danny Shea. I'm the Chief Brand Officer at Thrive Global for work. Uh, I've been here for about two years, and I uh, spent about 11 years at the Huffington Post before that. So I've, I've lived in early stage startup for my whole career, except for when HuffPost became more of a uh, household name. Sure. Well, and I definitely want to ask you about that because you have gone through those different spectrums, right? From, you know, I, I guess I'll ask like how many people when you, when you, when you were first starting at the, at the Huff Post, I mean, I'd imagine there's a handful of people and now it's, it's obviously grown to a massive uh, organization. And, and now you're flipped into kind of an offshoot of that in probably in almost a similar situation, right? Like what's the, what's the attraction been in the startup world or did you just, just evolve like that? No, so when I when I started at Huffington Post, it was about a month old, and there were six people. Wow! Um, and I, as it turns out, I love that stage. And one of the reasons why I am here at Thrive, and one of the reasons I love working here, is that it's to me the beginning is the most fun. And of course, it's fun when you grow, and it's fun when you realize the potential. But uh, I'm kind of a person who uh, doesn't like big process and bureaucracy. Um, but it's really fun to create the process and it's really fun for me to lay the tracks, so to speak. Um, so for me, uh, joining Thrive felt similar to the beginning of HuffPost when it's at the very beginning and, and you know, possibilities are endless and it's just a small team that really gets along very well and, and, can, and can do something powerful together. And then, uh, kind of just kind of grow it and, and see and, and always having in mind what it is today and what it could be in the future and, and understanding that those two things don't have to resemble each other at all. So when I started at the Huffington Post, it was a homepage about politics. 
Wow. Uh, and by the time I left, it was, you know, 200 million uniques and, you know, 80 verticals and 15 international editions about, you know, to the point where it was, you know, there was something for everyone and it was about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I keep that in mind always. It's that, you know, you can start with the germ of something and just through many, many, many iterations, it can become something different entirely. Yeah. Did you know, Danny, like when, when you made the decision to leave and, and join Thrive, like, was it, was it a, just a clear sign? You know, my time has come kind of, you know, the afternoon post has grown to a certain level and it, it's, it's time to move on. Or is it just like a, or did you go through some sort of reflective process to evaluate where you're at? No, both. I mean, for me, uh, I, having been at the Huffington Post since the very beginning and having spent my entire career there, I was definitely ready for change. And I actually wasn't 100% certain that I wanted to uh, join Thrive. So I actually joined Thrive as a, as a contractor in the very beginning and said, I can help get this off the ground because I love that stage. And of course, Ariana Huffington, someone I've worked very closely with and someone I work very well with and, and I mm-hmm. you know, have tremendous respect and, and a great relationship with. Um, and what I found in that maybe three to six month initial period was that I loved it and that I loved the beginning, like I said, and, and it was really, really fun. And it felt kind of exactly where I needed to be. And, and for me, one of the, one of the things that I care about the most is, am I doing something that only I can do? Am I, am I being uniquely useful and adding unique value? Hmm. And, uh, I certainly felt that way and feel that way at Thrive. That's awesome. That's uh, a lot of people strive for that, right? So that, that's great. And, you know, something uh, consistent just going through the research for, for this for this conversation, um, your background is or your education is, is related to media. It's something you've been in for, you know, 10 plus years now. Like what was just backing up a bit? What was the attraction to this world? So I've always loved the news. I was I was a kid who loved the news. I loved to be the first one to share a big news story when it happened. Um, I, I love to uh, kind of, I love information. I'm incredibly curious. And so for me, I did, I actually, it's funny you said that my education is in media. My education was kind of in liberal arts and public policy. Uh, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> education is actually what you do. And yeah. so my, 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 my professional education was certainly in media. Um, and it, it just felt really, really natural. I mean, sort of, I was, I was 22 and kind of a section editor at HuffPost. And it just felt very much natural, very much something that I was, it, it, I wasn't trying very hard. And okay. I, I don't say that in a, in a lazy, casual way. What I, what I, what I say yeah. is like, it felt like fun and it felt, you know, to, to be reading the news and curating the news and shaping the news and interviewing people and, and coming up with storylines and, and, you know, putting this picture with that story and putting that headline on this story that, you know, when I think when I found myself kind of naturally thinking about things in the news and journalism and storyline sense, uh, that's kind of how I knew that it was a, a great fit. And that's why I stayed for, I mean, I stayed for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that it never f- really felt like work. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, being there early, I definitely had a sense of kind of like 
family familiarity and, and kinship and, and uh, like passion and uh, really, really care for that brand. So uh, that certainly helps make it not feel like work as well. Sure. Well, and you're still in, I mean, you're, you're still in that world, obviously it's just, uh, and I wanted to ask you about that, but now shifting to thrive where there's, there's definitely, you know, a huge focus on wellness, uh, in general, like how has that, has that changed you at all personally, just being surrounded by that type of content? No, sir. I mean, like, I think there's two things. One is being surrounded by that content. And then two is having worked really closely with Ariana for the last 11 or 12 years or 13 years, sure. whatever it is. Um, and I say that because, I mean, that content is her and she is, it's coming from the same place, which is, you know, a lot, we, we joke a lot of the times when we, when we're practicing the Thrive Principles, it's like, no, we, we, we also believe this and practice this. This isn't just things that we talk about. Yeah. Um, and so the reason why I say that is a lot of it is, is very much influenced by the, like the style of work that I've grown up in. And for instance, I mean, I'm not really, uh, I'm a morning person in the sense that I like to get up early and I like to have morning productive time. And I'm, you know, I'll take a phone call at 7am. I'm happy to six 30, I'll do it. Um, but I kind of don't really schedule a meeting before 11. Okay. Um, if I can, because yeah. obviously there's always exceptions and things change. But for me, the morning hours are sacred and, and making sure that I have that time to uh, really, really put my day into focus and, and clarify what I need to do and not rush to get in somewhere just because that's what people do and what, what is expected of you. As an example, that's kind of like, and that's very much some people need to be in the office in the morning to do their best work. I happen to do my best work at home in the morning that, and, and kind of what thrive stands for. And certainly Ariana as a manager is that's more important than, you know, FaceTime or being in the office at a certain moment. Of course, there's yeah. always exceptions, but you yeah. can set the, the default and the baseline around the, what makes every individual succeed. And as long as it doesn't, you know, radically violate any kind of, uh, norms or sure. you know operating function it's probably better that everyone works at their best than at some you know predetermined norm yeah no i mean 100 percent agree and it's what's what's exciting is that like you i mean for sure you you're feeling that the shift you're in it and so are we um but even talking to people that are outside of the direct let's say this this industry or focus on on wellness like i'm starting to see People really prioritize that type of mentality, um, which is exciting and, and and hopeful for the future. Because I mean, let, let's be honest, right? That you know, the technology is not going anywhere. It's just going to keep evolving. The amount of information is is more than than we've ever been able to handle. So, like there ha there has to be tools and practices and mindsets put in place in order to evolve with the world that we're living in right now, right? No, no, for sure. And it's funny. I don't even look at it as a wellness thing. I think that it's, it's honestly, a lot of it is informed by neuroscience sure. and the way that our brains and bodies function the best. And that just happens to be something that we've gotten much deeper understanding of in the last 15 to 20 years, but also Silicon Valley. I mean, to me, uh, 
one of the core values of, of the West Coast, and you know, I've I've been on the East Coast my whole life, but one of the core values of the West Coast is is that life hacking sensibility and the rebuilding and redesigning the world around better ways of of functioning. And so it's very Silicon Valley to me. And I think that the prevalence of that style of work um, has definitely led to a kind of complete, I don't want to say renaissance, but complete awareness around maybe there's better ways to do this. And, you know, we, I was just looking at this, um, this, uh, we, we work is launching rise, which is their uh, kind of their lifestyle and wellness facility. Um, okay. and it's at, it's at 85 Broad Street and 85 Broad Street used to be the, the Goldman Sachs headquarters. And so I thought it was such a sign of the times that wow. the former Goldman Sachs headquarters in the heart of the financial district is becoming a WeWork wellbeing facility. Um, and so, that's just, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. What a, you're, you're right. What a parallel there. Um, but it's exciting. Again, like I, I just feel really hopeful for this. I'm because I before starting Keo with the team, I, mean, I spent ten years in in corporate kind of pharmaceutical world, which was really wild and and you know a lot of I'd say a little behind on. I'm not I'm generalizing here, but not all of the companies are like this. But definitely behind what you would see in you know Silicon Valley type setup in terms of you know, the promotion of culture and all that kind of stuff. It's coming along. But so when I hear things like this, though, um, whereas, you know, even even if you're working at name, name your corporation, a lot of people, you know, okay, go go work at that. We work for one day. Like it's part of, of the package type thing. Like That stuff is happening, which is really exciting. So, no, completely. And I mean, like if uh, 2017, I think between... Me Too and the role of uh, Uber in the public dialogue uh, proved anything. 2017 was the year that I think the connection between culture and the bottom line became really, really, really clear mm-hmm. and the, the importance of a healthy culture. So I think that the, the, what, the, the turning point has come. Yeah. Um, and it's fueled by some teachable moments like what happened in 2017 and also like i said just by the science it's it's pretty clear yeah no i agree so let's talk a little bit about that i mean to two things one we can maybe start on a very practical thing something that you know kind of has affected us this morning uh you were running late i was running you know a million things before this we took a few breaths together before starting this um and, I, you know, that's not weird anymore, I think, right? Like, no one, I didn't get a weird sensation from you. Like, what are you talking about? Let's not do this. But, you know, I think it's important to recognize when, when we're running at fast pace or stress levels are high, how do, we, how do we avoid getting to that? And why don't you just talk about your example? Because I think it's so relatable to, to everyone. You're running a bit late, right? Everyone runs late every now and then. So how do you manage that internally? No, and... and- I mean, when you when you suggested that we take three deep breaths before starting the the recording, I thought it was amazing because, frankly, like every meeting should start like that, and every conversation should start like that because it really, really, really helps clear whatever's happened before and then start fresh and recenter you for a more productive and and like actually authentic uh, conversation. But 
this morning I was running late. And so I, I, I texted you and I was like, can we, uh, Hey, I'm running late. I called you. And the reality is when I'm running late, nothing I can do, no, no amount of stress or worry will change the fact that I'm running late. Uh, and for me, a, a real key mental model that I have to practice at all times, every time I can is around my own powerlessness. So it's, mm. I could, there's absolutely nothing I can do to change the fact that I'm running at this point about 10 to 15 minutes late. I can tell you that it's three minutes late. I can tell you it's five minutes late. I can get really angry at the person in my way. I can get really angry at traffic. I can get really yeah. angry at the subway. None of that changes the fact that I'm just going to be 10 to 15 minutes late. Yeah. Um, and so the responsible thing to do is just give you a heads up, see if it's a problem for you, and then not worry about it. Uh, and then you know, that's that's the equivalent of taking a few deep breaths too, because it's you know what, like it, I'm releasing that, I can't change that, and stress, stressing over it's going to make me uh, less productive, less happy, less um, present with you when when I actually get there. So it's de it's defeating the purpose. Yeah. No, you, I think you nailed it. It's just, and it be, and easier said than done. Right. So, um, cause I think it's so easy for us to get into this, this loop where we just, okay, we're late. And then every single thing from the point, from that moment to when you actually arrive, just completely fuels that, that fire. Right. Unless to your point, you, you release it. Um, and it's just when you can, when you can do that, man, it's like a, it's like a secret has been unlocked because so I've been there. Like I, I actually thinking, I mean, we're recording this year in New York right now thinking of, of like the, the day uh, meetings that I've, I've been to New York fly in, fly out kind of same day. And you know, it's an hour at least to get to the city and the first flight in. And sometimes more if it's rainy, like depending on what's, what's happening. Right. And I've been in that, in that Uber and like, Oh man, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing I can do. Right. So it's, it's a great way to live, um, not just with, with running late, but with so many other elements to, to our daily life. No, and I think, too, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of that stress is preventable. For me, one of the things that I instituted recently, um, not a, few, a year or two ago, was just, and I, I don't know why I didn't do this prior, but I just look at the next day's calendar every day at the at, at around like five or six o'clock the day before. And I try, if possible, to remove things hmm. or just to make sure that everything needs to be there. And, and you know, if there's because I find my I mean, for me, the reason why I do that is I f have found that I'm not my best if I'm back to back to back to back to back. Yeah. Um, some people work really well that way. I don't. That's when I. That's when I uh, sort of operate from a less ideal place. It's like an autopilot mode, right? Yeah, and, and I can do it. I can do it for a day. I certainly can't do it for two. I can do it for a day, but it, it uh, drains me so much and it ends up being counterproductive. I, I need some space and I need um, a little time to sometimes just make sure I'm doing the follow-ups from all of those back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back meetings. So for me, kind of managing the calendar building in travel time, building in the time I need to leave and not just the time I need to be there. All these little things yeah. um, help prevent the, the buildup of stress. And that's actually one of the premises of Thrive. For us at Thrive, and you know, we work with companies around the world on their employee culture and, and well-being and stress management strategies, stress is 
unavoidable. Yeah. But the cumulative buildup of stress is preventable. And so if you if we can help people and we do this all the time, if we can help people have little micro steps and small small changes in their day-to-day life to prevent the buildup of stress to your point so that it doesn't become that infinite loop, but rather it's just that one off, okay, breathe, recenter, great. That uh that can change tremendously how people uh, function individually and how cultures and organizations perform collectively. Well, let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about that because it's, I, I, I truly believe, I mean, on our side, we're really focused with, with the consumer and we're, we are doing some work with, with companies as well, but you guys, you're really putting a big focus on trying to change, you know, that, that mindset or that culture, right. And, and having a healthy culture, which I think, is incredibly important because that's i think i really think in combination with you know just consumers in general pushing that message into companies it's really going to be when the leaders of some of these bigger organizations promote that this is what you know what what healthy looks like in the company and then that obviously you know flows into personal um your personal world as well but i'm curious from your perspective danny just being in this for a bit like where where are we at like what's the status of adoption if of some of these principles or the work that you guys are going into to do, like where are we at now? Um, I think, you know, obviously it depends somewhat on the company and the leader, but by and large we're there in terms of the acceptance of the science and, and really truly the science makes all the difference. The science around individual productivity, the kind of management science around organizational productivity, the numbers of companies with healthy cultures and companies mm. that prioritize well-being, performing better in the stock market, any the, the, the correlations between um, individual well-being and retention uh, metrics or individual pro- productivity and performance, the role of a healthy culture in recruiting, uh, all of these things are either cost savings or revenue generators. Yeah. And so I think from the, the there on, we're there on the science and we're there on the connection between um, some of these things that I think were previously seen as soft now being kind of quote hard and tied to the bottom line. So we're there, I think on the, on the implementing it level, it really depends company to company. And uh, it is, like you said, you're, you're, Kyo's focusing on consumer and, and Thrive does too, but we're also working with companies. And the reason why is this, this companies and, and work is what's driving a lot of people's stress. Yeah. And it's completely man-made and it's completely preventable, like I said, in terms of at least the buildup of it. And it is, it is really 100% around um, expectations, norms, permission, and that's something that we can do. So for us, it's really important to work with the leadership of a company when we're working on the, the culture and the well-being strategies, because whether whether it will only work if they put it into practice and, and put some meat behind it. Yeah. yeah. And 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 frankly, uh, one of the ways that we work to change culture is through the media platform. And, and we have we you know, we we really promote the latest science, but also we create these new role models. And we've had really, really, really influential and, and, and powerful and famous uh, and respectable, respectable people kind of share their well-being strategies with us. And sometimes those really change behavior. But in a company, it can also be your boss or 
the leader of this company or someone in a different unit at the company sharing their story and, and also from the company saying this is how you can get ahead here. Um, one of the things we find when we work with cultures is a lot of cu- cultures, I think, have problems articulating uh, the way forward sure. or the, the, gro- the path to growth for employees. And that's something that every human wants to know. How do I advance here? What's rewarded here? And so for us, the, in, the power of the internal storytelling in a company, and especially some cultures are more hierarchical than others, but especially if it's the leadership, um, really makes a difference at saying, you know what, I can do it because if they can do it, I can do it. Um, and I can do it here and it's rewarded here. And the other thing, one of the, one of the, one of the strategies and the, 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 the practices that we bring into companies is this concept of the entry interview. Hmm. And it's, it's such a, it's such a no brainer idea in retrospect, but probably unless you're doing it, no one's ever thought of it because we're so used to the exit interview. Yeah. Why didn't it work here? Um, and what we do, and we do it here at Thrive too, is ask, how do you work best? And how can we make sure that we're setting you up to succeed on the way in? And what do you need in your personal life to make sure that you can perform at your best professionally and personally? So what we find is some people say, listen, I've got therapy one hour a week on Thursdays, and I've got, I like to go for a run and I like to go to boxing class on Wednesday nights. And, and some people say, I would like to drop my child off at school at seven 30 or eight 30 or nine 30 or whatever time it is. And we've, we worked with someone at a company once where I think it was um, an individual who basically had that child drop off situation, but her manager was scheduling calls every day at seven 30 yeah. or whatever time it was. And it's he, the manager didn't know, and the the individual didn't feel comfortable sharing it because they were afraid it would make them seem less serious. So yeah. all once the once we have that conversation, it's like, oh, well, we can move the conversation to eight. I didn't know it was a problem. Mm-hmm. But so it's really starting those conversations inside companies and here at Thrive too to make sure that people's whole selves can be respected um, and people have time to take care of their whole self, rather than at the end of it not working out, understanding, oh, I wish I would have known that because I could have prevented that. And it's so funny to me. And I was just talking about this. One of the principles of our coverage when we were at HuffPost was we need more biopsies and fewer autopsies (laughs) and kind of trying to just raise things before they become catastrophes and, and, you know, sounding the alarm on things before they are real crises and it's the same principle here. And I, I was telling Ariana, I think it's just that it's, it's, it's always funny for me when I can see consistent through lines in the philosophy between the way we approach journalism at HuffPost and the way that we're approaching well-being here at Thrive. Uh, and to me, that more biopsies, fewer autopsies is a real consistent through line. Um, and really, it, it goes very much in line with the very principles of Thrive, which is we're going upstream into the prevention aspects of health and well-being because over 70% of healthcare costs these days are devoted to preventable, stress-related, non-communicable diseases. And so realistically, what we're looking at, we can help with symptom management, but we're really more interested in going upstream and, and changing the root cause and changing the, the, the culture around well-being to prevent things before they start versus, rather, versus treating symptoms. 
Well, and I think that's why, you know, we've done a bit of work together now in the contents. I think that's why it works so well with, with us because that's our exact same mission in this. It's, you know, we can help when you're in that crisis mode, but the, the idea is to avoid hitting that wall or whatever it is through small little incremental shifts and prompts and whatnot. Right. And, and you, I, I mean, I just love that concept of this, this entry interview or, or, or conversation. It's just a, obviously getting that information is super valuable, but just the act of asking someone coming in, <clears throat> I can imagine, I, I know I would feel great. Like what, immediately I would feel, wow, this, this company cares for, you know, cares about the details of, of, of my life and making sure that I'm feeling great and at the top of my game so I can do the, the, the you know, the best work and personally and professionally, right? Just that alone, just the mindset there is powerful. Yeah. And, and, and I think it, it starts with this understanding that there is no such thing as a work-life balance and that yeah, it's you, life. <laughs> yeah, one, it's, a, it's a person, right? Yeah. And, and the same person is showing up to work and to life. And if that person needs that Wednesday night yoga class and that Thursday night run and the therapy and the, all of these things that, that are needed to make you perform at your best, that's actually part of your work life too. And of course, if you, if you don't want to talk about the details, that's fine. That's, that's personal as well. But the premise is your your work life and your home life are directly integrated and you showing up to both can create a re with the best version of yourself can really create a healthy feedback loop of, of performance and happiness and, you know, purpose and joy and all of the things that, that we know make up a, a good and happy life. So powerful. I mean, I know I get asked every now and then, you know, okay, what's the, you know, what's the science behind reflective writing and, and, I mean, a quick Google search of that, you, there's, there's a ton, right? And, and, and specifically what you guys are doing as well and stress reduction and, you know, engagement and all of that. But at the end of the day, my answer is always, just try it. You yeah. actually will feel happy or happier. <laughs> you know, so nothing can replace, I can send you as many papers as, as you'd like. It's there. If that's what gets you to try and then perfect. But at the end of the day, you feel better. No, it's so funny. I like, you know, I live in this world and I, I, I hear all the strategies and I, I do a lot myself, but I don't do everything myself. So yeah. it's even funny for me when I try something new and I tried journaling recently, I started journaling and it's one of the things that I found, which was so amazing was by journaling and getting it out. I, I was immediately able to place and name my anxiety about something mm -hmm. and then fix it. So it was like, and, and I, I journaled one day, the next day I had this pit in my stomach and I was like, I knew exactly where that pit in the stomach was coming from. Yeah. And I was able to get ahead of it and then erase it. You, you, so out of all the interviews I've done so far over the last year and a half, the number one theme is, is self-awareness. And I think that's what any, whether it's journaling, whether it's meditation, going for a walk and being present, I mean, any of these practices at least what I'm learning, and I've seen it personally myself, is just that you're able to more clearly see those those triggers, right? And and it just keeps 
at least for me, it just keeps getting better and better in that sense. The more you do it, the more it's like, oh, okay, that's a sign. I, I can feel it in my shoulders. Normally, normally before, um, you know, that shoulder tension would be, would result in, oh, I really need to go out have a massage because like I can't bend my neck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but now it's like, okay, so that there's clearly something bothering me. So, you know, how do you course correct before, you know, getting to that extreme, extreme point? But yeah, you just, you need to take space, right? No. And, and, and for me, like when I was, when, when I was younger or maybe wasn't practicing all of these things as actively, I had that feeling, I had the shoulder, I had the stomach, I had them more often. Yeah. Um, and I didn't necessarily know where they were coming from. And now I both have them less often, which is great, but also can, can pretty quickly identify the source of them. Yeah. And that is amazing because if you can just name it and identify it, you might not be able to solve it right away, but it actually is so much more powerful to then help. I don't even want to say erase it, help address it in whatever way it needs to be addressed. Oh, no, totally, totally. So well, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your process. So how over the last few years or so, how has your reflective journey or process, whatever you're doing, how has that evolved and what does it look like? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, the, one of the big, the big shifts in my life in the last few years was like, I cut out alcohol, um, which made a huge difference in terms of, um, waking up feeling refreshed every day and creating that space. I mean, hmm. I tell people this all the time and it was completely not something I was expecting, but I found about three to four more hours a day. Not every day, obviously, but on the average, I found about three to four more hours in the day because if I'm not drinking, my mornings are clearer. My mornings are really, really clear. And my nights, I, I get another hour or two extra. Interesting. Um, and so for me, that was a huge thing that just created a lot of time and then also had the added benefit of a lot more clarity. How did you do it, Danny? Because I mean, and this is a selfish question, because on my side, I've been really thinking about this person as well. And, you know, I'm not drinking a ton, but it's just, you know, I get home and it, it's nice to have a glass of wine. Um, and I find that's really hard. It's like, well, what do you, you know, because it's either you had a good day, uh, let's have a glass of wine, or you had a ch shitty day, let's have a glass of wine. <laughs> like there's, yeah, it's always the same thing. No, I mean, like, and, and that might be fine for you. For one of the things that I decided for me was that one single decision of not drinking and cutting out alcohol was more effective than having to do a constant negotiation of, oh, do I want the glass today? Do I want the glass today? Do I want mm. the glass tonight? Like, it's yeah. just easier to have made one decision. And it was a decision I made on a whim. And it was a decision I made on a whim over three years ago um, that I didn't necessarily know would last this long. But once I started it, I started feeling so much better and much clearer that, I, that it's become pretty easy. So okay. for me, like I said, like if it's a daily decision or a weekly decision, it's much harder to navigate than if it was a macro decision that I made a long time ago. Yeah, that's great. That's helpful. And furthermore, I think that some people, I mean, some people find it to be, uh, there's always, there's, I mean, there's tons of strategies around alcohol, whether you're uh, kind of a problem drinker or just somebody who wants to manage your relationship with alcohol better. But one thing that a lot of people do talk about is just trying to, at the very least, place uh, the reason for drinking 
Mm-hmm. So if it's about celebration, like, and some people say, I'm only going to drink when it's a celebration as opposed to a consoling thing. So if you've had a tough day, yeah. don't go for the alcohol. But if you've had a great day and you want to have a glass with a friend or a colleague or whatever, that's great. Um, you know, different things work for different people. But yeah. um, I have heard that kind of only for good things work for some people. Sure. No, that's really helpful. I think, uh, I mean, I, I can personally benefit from that. I'm sure there are others. So you, you mentioned you're, you're, you're a morning guy. So am I. I think a lot of people are. So what what does that morning routine look like? Like what, it, when you're traveling, let's just rephrase that. When you're traveling, you're out of your regular routine. What are the things that absolutely always have to stay for you? I mean, the most important thing, if I'm traveling and out of my routine, the number one thing is to get as much sleep as possible. Um, and realistically, when you're traveling and I mean, forget jet lag, it's its own thing, but it might not, be, you know, if, you, if you're travel, if I'm traveling on work, it, it can be a night meeting and a morning meeting or a dinner and then a morning meeting. But most important thing is I try to keep that, um, that, that sacred space in the morning to not have as many, not to ha- not to have any meetings until we absolutely have to. Okay. Um, the, where it gets tricky is in the flights. Yeah. Um, and so it's for me, I, I kind of. I'm not a good exerciser when traveling. Okay. Um, I really, really, really in the morning, if I'm traveling, believe in breakfast in a way that I don't have breakfast. I rarely have breakfast when I'm home. Oh, interesting. But for me, kind of, I do look at it as fuel. Okay. And especially if I'm not sleeping well, uh, for me, I need like protein and carbs in the morning to wake myself up. And to kind of give me that boost to get th- get to the airport or to get to the meeting. Um, and then the adrenaline kicks in. Yeah. Um, so once the day, it's for me, like kind of getting the day started, the, the, the thing for me that is really important when traveling is to respect the fact that I'm traveling and to not try to stay on my home time zone. Okay. Work-wise. Okay. And so it's about setting expectations with the people in the home office that, Listen, like I like I, I remember being in India and it hit midnight in India and it was I think it's about nine and a half or ten and a half hours behind. So let's say three ish at home. And it's I know the day is still going for you, but I have to create this end for myself or I can be up till four AM here. Um That is so important. And so basically making sure that, and I, and I know people too, and, and I, I've started to do this a little bit too if, around when traveling, trying not to take calls or not to keep up with meetings and calls, just to be really present wherever you are. I don't do that a hundred percent because I think it's a, a bit more of a, a balance and a hard rule, but uh, that works for some people I know too. It's just, for me, the, the key is to make sure that you are setting a time. And ideally, by the way, midnight is too late. Ideally, I should have, I would have liked that day to shut off at 7 or 8 p.m. local. It wasn't practical that day. Um, but then making sure that I'm not going to start till 9 or 10 local the next day. So I think one of the key premises of Thrive in my life too, and, and, and instituting it here, is that there are times where hard work, long hours, late nights are inevitable and need to happen and productive and good for the business. But do I really need to then stay on the exact same schedule I was planning for the, d- the next day? 
maybe not. Maybe I can push things. Hmm. And maybe I can start, like, I really, really, really do try. One of my favorite things to do, and you can do this on the iPhone, is just, hey, Siri, set my alarm for eight hours from now. Like, I don't care what time it is. Just, I'm just going to try to get eight hours. Interesting. I love that. And and if and if you if I look at the calendar, like again, if I'm if everything's working, then it's good. But if I'm looking at the calendar the day before, I know that actually I don't have anything till eleven, so I can go to sleep at one thirty or two and wake up at ten. It doesn't happen really in practice all the time like that exactly. But yeah, of course. But in principle, even last week, last week I was up really late working. I set my alarm for eight forty-five. To me, to wake up at eight forty-five is like. I feel like a college student. <laughs> it must you know? feel weird, yeah. Um, but I did it, and I woke up at 8.45, and I didn't have anything till 10. I was like, I can do that. And I did you know, two hours of work at night, and I, 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 I cleared that space in the morning for me. Yeah. So really, I think it's about just trying to give yourself the space on the back end to recover, less than kind of having any artificial rules around, I'm cutting off at this moment, or I never do this, or I always do this. It's a constant negotiation, but I mean, by the way, the negotiation is with yourself and your calendar. And, sure. and honestly, I think it's a lot about, are you willing to advocate for yourself and say, you know what? I can't do that meeting. And it's not that I don't want to, but does it really have to happen at 11? Like one of the things that, one of the things that I, um, I do a lot is try to, and I know we, we ask about the, the hard questions here. One of the things I try to do a lot is um, ask myself what's what's really true, and it's like with deadlines. You know, I come from the journalism world with respect deadlines. Okay. Okay. I know you're telling me you need this Tuesday at six. Why is that? Do you really need it Tuesday at six? Actually, no. We want it Tuesday at six because we'd like it for Thursday morning. Okay, that's fine. Like I don't. I'm happy to give it to you Tuesday at six if you need it, but I'd rather know that you don't really need it till Wednesday at seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And it's the same thing with, do you really need me in that meeting? Does that meeting really need to be at this time? Can it be a phone call? Can it be, can we do it? Can we just do it if we see each other tomorrow? Does it need to happen this week? Kind of constantly uh, really trying to assess what is real and what needs to happen and who needs to be there. And, and do I need to be there? Uh, I think most people, if, if, if we all did that more, I think we would all feel more empowered to take care of ourselves, but a lot of it is artificial. So, I mean, the the biggest frustration for me of living a what I call a calendar life is when like the calendar is set for you and you live. You know, mm -hmm. to me, the, the the premise of taking a vacation or a holiday is that like I'm off the calendar. That's the dream. Yeah. Um, but so much of the calendar is just set by other people. So if we could take a little bit of a more active role in in setting that calendar and, and that is 100% around the strength of self and the strength of ego to say, you know, I, I, I need to advocate for myself in this. And I need to I actually like, I'm sorry, I don't work well that way. And I think a lot of people are afraid to say that and are afraid to be those self-advocates. That's I mean, Danny, that, this is super rich. Thanks for sharing all of that. I, there's so many things I go off on there, but I, I definitely want to respect your time and, and start wrapping up. I will say one thing, though, um, <laughs> that is, a, I think, a game changer. And I wish I would have had this conversation with you five years ago when I was traveling a lot. Because I, I think, you know, you can probably relate to this when if you're if you're gone at a conference or something that seems interesting to others in a, in a foreign place it's always like oh you're so lucky you're traveling but you know what people normally don't realize is the day-to-day -day work is still operating right and 
that's what becomes, uh, at least for me, it was like, it never stopped. But your whole notion of just setting, I think I could kind of combine it all as setting expectations with the home office and yourself that, you know what, I'm gone for these, whatever, three to four days, whatever it is. And I'm, you know, I have to be dialed in on what's going on here and the stuff at home, it's going to have to wait or or whatever. Right. Obviously the circumstances are always going to be unique, but just, just thinking about that to me releases so much stress because it's, it can be crazy when you're traveling all the time like that. No, completely. And, and you're right that I think the largest macro conversation is around setting expectations having the conversation, creating new norms, understanding that, you know, companies might need to be 24-7, but individuals can't be. And also one of the the kind of like secondary benefits that I find to thinking like this and, and, and implementing this is that in practice, no company should ever be dependent on one person. Yeah. There should be no one, there should be no process, decision, deal, partnership, project, that is dependent on one person. So, and by the way, a lot of times people end up, and I'm guilty of this too, overworking themselves because they look at themselves as, you know, the sole person who can do X. So it's bad for people, but it's also bad for businesses. So when you take yourself out of the game for a few days, it actually is healthy for the organization because it makes sure that it can survive without you or can survive without whoever that one person is. It's not healthy if organizations are dependent on and if any one individual has kind of complete power over something in an organization. Yeah. It's it's a it's a bad it's bad for business. Absolutely. All right, let's grab your questions. So Danny, what are your three reflective questions? The first is more of a my first reflective question is more of a daily question, which is for me, introspection, willingness to admit what I've done wrong and to look at how it can be better is a huge piece of both self-awareness and openness to change. And so for me, the first question is, is there anything that I've done today that I wish I had done differently or, or you know, that I should, would do differently tomorrow and, and can, how could I improve? So it's, it's a constant state, a daily inventory of a self-reflection and, and introspection around uh, how, how I could handle things differently. Yeah. For me, I am completely open always to feedback and change and it, do, it's, it doesn't change my uh, self-impression. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Um, the second, second thing that I, I ask myself often, which I think I mentioned earlier, is, is this something, and this is more in the bigger life moments, is this something that only I can do? For me, I think one of the things that I, I like to be uniquely valuable, I think we all do, and it feels good to know that I don't want to be self-aggrandizing and say, you're the only person in the world who can do this, but it's nice to feel that you sure. might be the only person in the world who can yeah. do this. And, and that this, whatever this is, is taking advantage of your unique collection of experiences, strengths, interests, talents. Um, and so for me, kind of like probing that, making sure that this is something that is something that I'm uniquely able to add value to is something that helps orient me and then give me that sense of purpose and well-being powerful and and then and then the last piece too which i mentioned earlier is kind of what is what is really true i think a lot of a lot of times the um we we go around our lives and our days with a series of false assumptions 
because it's either baked into the norm or it's something that we just think the other person is expecting or the situation is expecting of us. Um, and so for me, part of that living life cu with curiosity and a completely open mind is around questioning what's really true and, and what, you know, so often we find that I find that um, what seems true is maybe 20% true. Yeah. And that 20% is what really matters. It's like, oh, okay, well, if I had known that all you cared about was that one thing and not the seven things, we could have talked about this one thing. And so uh, it's approaching that with no judgment. I don't care if the seven things are true. I don't care if the one thing is true. I just need to know what is really true so that we can then be operating on the same plane and, and being most effective. So it's a great problem. Questioning what, what is true and, and what's, what's real is really important to me because I think it, I think nothing is for me. One of the, one of my pet peeves is false assumptions. Yeah. It drives me nuts because it's, cause it's preventable. Well, what I really like about that question is just, is just the clarity that, that it brings, right? Like let's, let's cut all the noise and, and really get down. And, and to your point, I think you need to do it in a non judgmental way. Um, and if you can do that, then, I mean, all parties win essentially from what I can see. <laughs> no, completely. And, and, and you, the, the most important thing for self and for others is that non-judgment. Like I said, I don't, sometimes when I say I don't care, it can seem like it's a crass thing or dismissive. It's like, no, no, it's like, it's a not, I'm not judging the outcome either way, but it's really helpful to know the reality so that we can operate from there. And I think that's, yeah. that non-judgment is, is the most critical thing. But it's also really critical, I think, that people apply it to themselves because it goes in line with the feedback to, to my first question. I'm not being judgmental to myself. I'll be forgiving to myself. But I need to know how I can improve. Absolutely. Well, Danny, last question for you. And it's just a reflective question for, for you over the last few days. Is there, if you think back, you know, what, what really made you smile or what makes you smile? Uh. One of the things that I'm really lucky to have in my life is a really, really, really close network of friends. Um, and that's even why when you, your first question was, who are you, I think, and I answered part of it was in, you know, I think I said at work, I'm X. Yeah. Um, because I think that identity is multifaceted, obviously, and work is just a piece of it. But for me, uh, I have a really close network of friends and a really close family and Things that make me smile include my nephews, and uh, I have a really fun uh, group text with my friends that I'm laughing about constantly all day. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for being so open to, to share you know, your journey and what, what's evolved through your life to essentially help others. And you know, on behalf of everyone out there, thanks for, for making this, this world a better place through the work that you're doing. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Likewise, I'm, I'm really happy that, uh, that you exist and that Kyo exists and that Thrive exists because I think together we are leading the world towards a new way of living and working, which is, you know, more in line with what we all want to see. So thank you. Have the best day yet. You too. Thanks. Thanks.